Welcome to Rector's Cupboard, a podcast for people who are interested in questions of culture and faith. We ask these questions from outside the institutional structures of religion. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you enjoy and benefit from the conversation. So on this uh, episode of Rector's Cupboard, we're going to figure something out. (laughs) As I said that, I just thought, oh no, I have to say what's in my head next. We're going to figure out what a woman is. Um, (laughs) That is a problematic sentence to start this with. (laughs) Or I guess more specifically, how do you define a woman? And we'll get to this article that was in the Washington Post yesterday, which was April 6th, as uh, listeners are listening, you know, a week or two later or whenever. Um, And so we're glad to have with us Brenda Lee Sasaki, who has been a guest yes, before. Yes, returning guest. And Thanks is on the mic for banter, too, and mm. can give us some really good opinions on on how to define a woman. Um, but first, we have our cupboard master. Hello, it's good and to Not be to here. define a woman at all, but no. just to offer us some... This is like... This is like an old school, like retro episode that we have the guest for the whole thing. We have a tasting, we have banter, we have it all. If we've existed for less than three years, is there old school? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think firmly we can have old school. I think when you've gone through COVID, you can call everything. (laughs) There does very much feel like a before and an after So like you've just opened the cupboard again. I have. And here you are in person. Fantastic. And so what we're drinking. And and we have a a little studio audience. We do. A live studio audience. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Mostly supportive. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, and you've shared the drinks with them as well. Keith, I have. They get not, to no, not try the bread yet. The bread and then the and then the wine. Um, but okay, so go ahead. Thank you. So we're actually trying two different. Uh, there, well, it's a cocktail, and we have gin from Woods Distillery, which we've talked about before on one of our podcasts, and we also have peach schnapps from Sons of Vancouver. So it's a mm. uh, peach schnapps and gin uh, cocktail with a little bit of. Uh, mango nectar and some Thai basil in it, and so it's. It's have very you tried this pretty too? color. Uh, so you can go ahead and try it. Okay. Mm, cheers. Let's roll it. Cheers. Cheers. Should we get to clink clink. Yeah, yeah we, we definitely can. can. Clink, clink. There we go. Clink clink Wood hitting wood. Ooh. And so, yeah. yeah, I thought... It's actually I, not quite as sweet as I thought. Like, it smells sweeter than it actually tastes. Yeah, I did cut it with a little... Well, and I did cut it with a little bit of uh, sparkling buble mm. peach drink. Mm. So, oh. just just to give it a little little bit of fizz to it. So, but oh, it's yeah. sort of a... My Five. concept was a summer... This is sort your of concept? Spring. Yeah, yeah, this is my Ooh. concoction. Do, I'm uh, scared to ask what you're going to call it. to summer... Uh, I have no name for it. Well, Maybe we should we'll leave need it a that name way. for the episode notes. Mm. <laughs> Let me think on it. As we're trying to define what a woman is, I'll figure out what the there's definition a, of I, this cocktail is. There's nothing that could go wrong with this. The no. more, nothing at all. The more you say that, guys, the more I'm going to need to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Oh, forget it. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the woods. The one of the reasons we're using this as Beautiful. well is the woods just came out with their annual. April. Nope, Sons of Vancouver. Or Sons of Vancouver, sorry, came out <laughs> with their annual April um, Fools. liqueur, April yes. Fool's liqueur. Uh, it wasn't peach schnapps, that was last year's. This year's was. Mm. Uh, creme tiki? de cacao. Cre- yes, oh, yes. Uh, but I didn't have anything in my head that sort of went with that. So we went with this. Yeah. So enjoy. It's lovely. And Thank you very we'll, much. Thank we'll you put can. the recipe in the notes. And maybe so we'll have a name for it by then. We'll, we'll have a few names. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> you're going to stay here for a few minutes and speak to us about this am, yeah. article. And so it was last week during the confirmation hearings for a woman who has now been confirmed to yes. the United Yay. States Supreme Court. 
Katanji Brown Jackson. Is that yes. Is it? yes. Yes. And yes. Um, a Republican senator, Marsha Blackburn, followed a line of questioning that was going on. It wasn't the only kind of attack line of questioning, but it was a little bit of... Um, these hearings didn't used to be polarized in terms of the politics so much, um, but now it's not really about qualifications. It's about, you know, are mm-hmm. you it from the left, are you too yeah. right wing, from the right, are you too, too left, left wing? wing. Mm-hmm. And so one of the one of the issues right now that has come up is, you know, all these kinds of things around gender identity and different things. And so it was kind of a question intended to corner the, the um, nominee um, can you please define what a what a woman is? And she said, uh, I'm not a biologist. And so then, so of course, what happened was the, uh, reporters sometime after and in the, in the days that are following, and this is where we get to this article, uh, found the Republican senators, uh, you know, some of them on that committee and asked them, can you please define a woman? Because you were really upset that this judge wouldn't or couldn't. And so can you give us your definitions mm. um you've seen the article oh they're great definitions <laughs> yeah there's sorry some, there's in something all right sarcasm wasn't coming across there. it's good for our topic for this episode that we're going to talk to, to yes Brenda Lee about mm. because um well biblical womanhood what is biblical womanhood oh, yes. so i guess before we define biblical womanhood we have to what's womanhood True. so <laughs> let's let's go with what um well she's not a senator but she's um in the house republican marjorie taylor green mm. said mm-hmm. this is an easy answer we're a creation of god i don't know how that defines it but anyway we came from adam's rib that's helpful also god created us us with his hands we may be the weaker sex we are the weaker sex amen <laughs> ken don't say amen <laughs> uh, but we are our we are our partner we are our it's really quite something we are our husband's wife i mean i think that she may have been slipping to refer to you know a spouse or as a like in as a partner which maybe is a little uh, woke for a republican um yeah then then we have um madison cawthorn who who his definition apparently addressed to nancy pelosi was science isn't burger king you can't just have it your way take notes madam speaker i'm about to define what a woman is for you are you ready? Isn't that just what every woman wishes to mm. hear? Have, okay, sorry, I digress. X chromosomes, no tally whacker. It's so simple. That's really simple. Uh, no tally whacker is the big one there. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. That pretty much sums it up. So Josh Hawley <laughs> um, said. I mean, at this point, I might need to get someone there. <laughs> Someone, we're going to get to the other side of this as well. Mm. Anyway, um, less those of you who are listening are going, we can't stand when they just make fun of people on the right. Um, But anyway, we'll make fun of everybody. Uh, (laughs) Josh Hawley said someone, he said it's pretty easy, someone who can give birth to a child. Uh, A mother is a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Are are we sure? How old was the person who said that? A mother is a woman. Uh, Someone who has a uterus is a woman. It doesn't seem that complicated to me. Uh, when the reporter asked yeah, him whether a, a woman whose question. uterus <laughs> was removed via hysterectomy was still a woman, he appeared uncertain. Yeah, well, I don't know. Would they? That's a that's a tricky question. So what do you think, everybody? Oh, my gosh. I Ken feel and Todd as if I'm like not moved. allowed to say it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
very well done. I enjoy this. Um, this lovely cocktail. Tally Rocker surprise. No, 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 no. Um, I mean, I think what they've hit on is that the fact that it's a bit more complicated than one would think on the surface, particularly because you go, okay, so do you define a woman by what she can, uh, I guess, in essence, produce, whether that be a child or whether they're attached to, uh, obviously, from, from this perspective, a man. So they are someone's partner or a very loaded term for me, a helpmate. Um, like it, it always seems that, that there is a definition in, in who they are as to something else that is central. They, they are always peripheral in this sort of understanding. And, and I think it's more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think Katanji Jack, Brown Jackson is, is a very intelligent woman. So maybe I'll just go with her line. I'm not a biologist. Yeah. Do you think there's, I was listening to an interview um, with Margaret Atwood today, and she was talking to the interviewer about just uh, social trends and political trends and cultural trends, and she was saying that there's always pushback on things. So she was talking about the 60s and 70s, and mm-hmm. she said, and then there was pushback in the 80s and into the 90s, and she was referring to in writing um, uh, *Handmaid's Tale* mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. of the um, authoritarian, like theocratic state type of stuff, and that she was uh, um, anticipating a, a pushback to some of the women's rights things, civil rights things, and and so what part of this? Let's try to understand. I mean, it's easy to joke about Marjorie Taylor Greene and and Josh Hawley and Madison Cox. I mean, These I do think not, there are you know, Republicans who could provide better definitions than what this article has the, cited. What's the pushback? What is upsetting people on the right? Because it's mostly on the right with the things that are happening, whether it's, you know, in terms of talking about women's rights, trans rights, whatever. What is it that they're afraid of mm. that's going to happen? What do you think? Well... Why is this question even being asked? Like that's let's get to the to the root purpose of this. Would they ask a man? Can you please define a man? Like seriously, yeah, this cool. type of question is ridiculous. And not only and it could be on the right or the left, but but what is our purpose in asking it? Well, we know they're trying to either trip her up. I mean, you've seen, if you saw any of the hearings, you saw them holding up a child's book by oh, yeah. Ibram Kendry. You know, do you think babies are yeah, racist? That was, yeah, that You know, yeah. yeah, there's some just ridiculous lines of questioning. I don't know. I think we think we can get away with it with women. Right, we can ask them ridiculous questions. We can try to corner them with thoughts and lines and opinions and catchphrases that we would never ask a man. Yeah, I, th- there's definitely something in that. Th- there's also a note of trying to generate fear, right? Because fear is such a great mm. uh, motivation for voting and for making a political block and sure and i think the fear is probably like all those things that you know to be true all the things that kind of you Mm. use to make sense of the world right these people on the other side want to erase all of those yes and we are here to protect you and to you know Mm -hmm. and Mm. there are and i've read a number of you know articles and books there are excesses on the other side of course there are as well yeah that right where there are so the idea of like would there be something if you can't define what what a woman is, what what, well, what, what does women you? rights mean? Women's yeah. rights mean, um, and I think that th- there's so there's some conversation there that that is appropriate. But um, yeah, any other any other notes, Ken? Do you have anything to add to? 
I mean, I think it's, I mean, part of the reason the question's asked is always to galvanize your base, right? right. This goes along with the Florida uh, don't say gay stuff and the stuff that's going on in other states with banning abortion and all those sort of things. It's, it's all about, um, you know, giving power and rallying up your base because the election is coming up in a few months and you want those people to be angry because if people are angry, they vote. Mm. And, mm. oh my gosh, you have these horrible people who can't even define what a woman is. We can't allow them to be in power. Or mm. you have these horrible people who are attacking like this. I don't think it's equal on the two sides. No. The Republican mm. side is crazier. I, I don't have any problem saying that. But but there is also the extreme left will will use fear as well sure oh, oh absolutely yes. both, both sides will use fear because it's a great motivator mm-hmm. yeah the church uses fear because it's a great motivator mm-hmm. theology is mm-hmm. based in a lot of fear because it motivates mm-hmm. we can scare you about hell to convert you yeah. great if we can scare you about an issue so that you vote mm-hmm. whether it's a deficit or uh the definition of gender then we'll do it yeah i mean i think if, if i if i choose to to try to be charitable um, which, which I think is a, an important intellectual exercise um, to, to do. Uh, I, I wonder whether some of it goes back to can, kind of what you referenced, that we thought that there was easy terms, easy definitions for certain things, and now things are more complicated. And I, and mm. I do think that there can be people who kind of hold up their hands and they go, well, I don't understand anything anymore. I thought I knew this and now I don't know this. And you get a little bit of like slippery slope argument, like, well, if we can't define this, then what, what can we define and what's gonna happen next? And I, I think there is a good dose of fear in it. How much of that is authentic on the part of the people who are posing the questions? I, I don't know. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's difficult in a society that, that tends to be quite binary, um, mm-hmm. good, bad, light, dark, male, female, whatever the binary is, that the binaries are easier to, to define. And so when you have a society that is quite binary, it's hard to have nuance. Um, and it, it, it's interesting because I, I wonder whether there is part worth, like I, I look at explaining things like, sexual identity, gender identity with, with my kids and, um, things like pronouns and stuff like it, it's not hard for them. Like mm-hmm. it, it really isn't like my, my kids have asked some questions and, and we have, um, some friends and who, who prefer they pronouns. And it was one conversation of speaking with my daughter and going, well, they're more comfortable using, using these sorts of pronouns. And do you think that that would be good that you choose to try to refer to someone in a way that makes them comfortable. And she's like, Oh, okay. Right. There's a, I always find it's interesting in terms of like, most of us have church experience here. I'm looking at the studio audience <laughs> as well. And most uh, of us have this. We always love it when, when, when somebody says the Bible says, and then you know what's coming <gasps> next. It's, so, you know, every woman in the room, I think just internally curious <laughs> though. And I'll say it right now that the Bible says oh. in Galatians, um, that in Christ, in other words, this doesn't just mean like for people who believe as opposed to people who don't believe. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's also a false division. But mm-hmm. um, in Christ, the way Christ sees things, in Christ, there is neither. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. These categories that you have to have to make mm-hmm. sense of things mm-hmm. yeah. are not needed in, it in would seem the way so. of Christ. Now, mm-hmm. that's not mostly what I heard in, in the church, but 
you know, that's what the Bible says. We were at a thing last night in mm. Seattle, and uh, mm. the former Archbishop of Canterbury was there. Um, he was so lovely. a poetry <laughs> award. And so it was quite, quite highbrow. Yes, but I feel like was, I understood about 10% of what he, he said. He was asked if... Something about Twitter and poetry? I can't really yes. remember the question. Yes. Oh, I do. Um, they were saying if em- somebody had said a comment about, like, if Emily Dickinson was alive right now, she'd be wonderful at oh, Twitter. Oh, she could, she could do good tweets and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, yeah. And and so the the editor of the Image, Image Journal Poetry section, section yes. uh, asked uh, the former archbishop, uh, do you think there's anything good about Twitter? And it was the only time that the archbishop a former archbishop, said um, right away. Like, he didn't kind of sit back and go, so do you think Twitter is, can be good? And he's like, no. <laughs> and, then, and then he kind of smiled and he said, and it was a beautiful answer. And oh. It relates to some of this and how we listen to these other angry mm. voices. And He said, because poetry uses words sparingly in order to create space around the words, whereas this kind of communication doesn't allow for any space. It's just one thing right up against yeah. another and then another. And he said, we can't, we, something along the lines of we can't see the other person's humanity without mm. distance, mm. without giving it some space, without thinking, what's going on with that person who's hollering? What's going yeah. on with them? And, and he held up his hands and held them together. And yeah. he said, when there's no space, there's only confrontation. Mm. Yeah, and I think both like, the right and the left, left in this. Mm. Yes. There's there's mistakes there for that. So mm-hmm. we'll try to do better than that. But thank you so much for uh, Ken. Thank you for the drinks. You're finished mm. already. Yeah, <laughs> and, I didn't have uh, a lot behind. to say on that. Yeah. <laughs> intentionally. So this is like, what's the date today? Ken played it safe. Day. <laughs> he did well done. April seventh. Finally come. <laughs> uh, well, we're very pleased to uh, introduce our guest. Brenda Lee Sasaki, who uh, has been a university instructor and a writer. We're here to talk about some of the articles that she has had published. I was noticing that you've um, done some work in India with uh, what's called, what was called or is called still the Facilitated Academic Research Resource Center. So that sounds fantastic. Sounds awesome, doesn't um, it? <laughs> and, uh, and all other kinds of things. And we're super pleased to have... Uh, Brenda or Brenda Lee? What do you, what do I call you? Brenda is perfectly Brenda, fine. I thought so. so we're <laughs> very pleased to have Brenda with us tonight. Now you guys know each other. We do. Um, Brenda uh, kind of probably sits a bit like between my mom and I, like generationally. And so she was always in like that, like leadership role kind of when I was a teenager, like younger kid and that sort of stuff. So it's been interesting. We, we went to the same church growing up for quite a long time. I got married, moved away. And then you I know, got smart and moved away. Yes, you did. There are people from the studio audience <laughs> yes, here who went to the same church. Who? What are them I, babies? I've got to say, me. I was saying to Brenda earlier, and you guys couldn't hear this because you were greeting each other very loudly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was nice. Um, but I said it. It see, and then you also were running up. And I said it seems like people who found each other uh, in exile, <laughs> like you know, oh, you made it out too. Um, the way that that uh, people are are greeting one another. So that's it. Um, does kind of feel like that but I mean Brenda and I have have reconnected um in the last couple of years I've really enjoyed seeing what you've written Brenda and I I love I don't know I love how how daring and and courageous you are and how how you choose to say a lot of stuff that that I think internally and probably don't say enough out loud so I'm very appreciative of people who who occupy space the way that you do and and I love engagement with you and so I'm really glad that that you're returning and last time we talked about uh losing religion deepening faith I believe was the was the title of the podcast (laughs) (laughs) 
When in I doubt, mean, say COVID. When in doubt. And Jesus. Yeah. And so this time we've got Brenda back to talk about, you've recently published um, an essay in the CBE International Magazine, which sounds for Christians for Biblical Equality, correct? Mm. Yes, correct. Yeah. And it's called, I am more than a mother, uh, subtitle, as Todd loves the subtitles, dismantling the madness of the motherhood myth. That's a great title. <laughs> we you. we've had to try to get Todd to shorten his titles, but occasionally no, we. But now I'm inspired to go the other way. So oh thank no! You. Oh no! This is <laughs> more not words. Good. More words. <laughs> um, so as as that's kind of the context of of most of our kind of conversation, tell us a little bit about the article. Like why did why did you write it? And give us a little bit about what's in there. We'll we'll link to the article so listeners can can read it for themselves. But. Yeah, tell us a bit about it. Sure. Um, I um, love to write. That is an outlet I've um, kept, not hidden, but I haven't really massaged until probably the last eight or nine years. And so um, I connect with different organizations that I'm aligned with, kind of with my values, my theology. Christians for Biblical Equality, I put a little plug in there, do a lot of really great work. They do a lot of good scholarship, a lot of research. And so a few times I've submitted pieces for the themes that they've had going on. I've had some published on their um, blog. And then uh, this topic of motherhood came up and I'm like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some thought to this mm. in December. And um, I have to say the where I thought I was going to take the article, of course, anyone who writes knows it ends <laughs> up somewhere else. Yes. And in 2021, I lost my, my mom and my mom uh, passed away. And I was pretty close to her. And so I actually thought I started writing about her and I thought I'm going to be writing something about that. And it totally took a different turn. As I started contemplating, kind of thinking about um, what, what is this idea of mother? What, what are my feelings? What are my thoughts? What are my own embodied experiences about motherhood, about being a mother? And, you know, I recognize how complicated it was, even for me, um, and then this, this incident happened when I was, before I had kids, that happened in the evangelical church, in the church I was going to. And it was so strange that this incident came up to my mind. And so then that's where I started massaging it and saying, mm. well, what is this about? So the incident, let me tell you, it is in the article. <laughs> um, I was in a Bible study with a group of people who I loved and we were, you know, doing stuff. And then a whole bunch of my friends got pregnant. Um, and we were married, of course, good Christians. Of course. Yeah. And um, my husband and I, we didn't have kids. And, you know, somebody in the study, you know, I want to give her the benefit of a doubt, pulled me aside and said, you know, tap, tap, tap. I'm just tapping. You know what? You guys, you guys are not going to have anything really to get out of this next study because we're talking about kids. You're not going to really have anything to contribute. So... I'm just warning you, you know, this, this is, uh, you know, this might be really uncomfortable for you. And I remember leaving. Who was saying this to you? Like one individual or? Yes. In the Bible study. Uh, male or female? Female. Okay. Well, generally women were sent to talk to women. I oh, got reprimanded absolutely. by women who I'm like, I'm pretty sure you were sent on an errand from someone okay. else. <laughs> also happened. Huh, and leaving that study with my husband and then being oh, like, gosh. I'm done. And what the F is that about? So um, recalling that incident and as I'm unpacking it and as I started writing about it, I was like, yeah, that really was a place where we have these deep systemic roots about what it means to be a mother, what it means to be a godly woman. I've written about that before. I remember that. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> really cool. Yeah. And how 
those narrowly defined limiting beliefs around that have just damaged so many relationships. So many, I'm going to say women, but women and men in the church. And myself coming out of that over the last 10, 12 years. um, So it was interesting to reflect back on and write about that. And that's where Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, my own study when I went to seminary came out of obviously my own experiences of saying, what's going on here is not okay. This isn't what I believe that the Bible teaches us. Not only that, this is not, I think, the kind of Christianity I want to be part of. Um, Yeah, so... I didn't actually believe what they were telling me, and that that just really sparked, an, uh, you know, deepening to what what does my mothering look like? I I do have three kids. We can talk about that. Um, I never aspired to become a mother. Did I want to be? Probably. Was it my life goal? Never. Did I know that? Uh, I don't, God, kids don't listen to this. Um, <laughs> did I know that my you know my greatest role in life would be their mother? Absolutely not. In fact. I had other ambitions and other things that I believed that I was really called to do. And this was going to be part of my experience as a human being. Well, I think, oh, so you talk about the the myth of motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm anticipating some of what that might mean. But I'm thinking back to this, this was, I was going to say conversation, but those things are not conversations. They're like the, you know, pull you aside for a moment Smack. to tell you. Um, and in this case, like you haven't even done anything wrong, supposedly. Sometimes those pull aside conversations, like I need to talk to you about something. Well, that like, happened after. Yeah, but this, yeah, exactly. I'm or, so not surprised. This is this is more an identity thing that yeah. like mm. you you fit a category that isn't that isn't doesn't quite measure up mm. to. Um, so what's what is the myth of motherhood as presented, and how does that you know fit into some of the things you were saying in writing? Yeah, the myth of, so this myth of motherhood, I believe, you know, is this universal desire for women to become mothers is part of it. And the, also the myth is that it was God's design for us to become mothers. And this is continually perpetuated in the constructs in our Western, I'm going to speak from a Western evangelical experience, because that's all I can really speak mm-hmm. from, um, that um, this idea of male and female are God's only intended expressions of gender, and the only expression of um, coming together in kind, of, in kind of intimacy or sexuality is men and women in a married context. And motherhood has to be the ultimate um, next step for every woman, right? We know growing up in the church, when are you getting married? Mm-hmm. After you get married, when are you having kids? This is the progression of becoming a godly woman. Yeah, I mean, that was certainly what I understood to kind of be my prescribed path. Because uh, that was the only way that I I kind of, the only framework that I was handed. Uh, there, there was an expectation of, well, of course I had to get married because I wanted to have sex. So that was obviously had to happen first. So there was that. But then there was also like, I, I for myself, I, I wanted to be a mom. And I didn't realize, and I, I love my children. I feel like I need to say that caveat. How, <laughs> how deeply disappointed and unfulfilled that would feel for me. And I'm not sure if part of that is, is just my personality or part of that was also, there was a hype that it didn't live up to. Um, in, in my mind. And, and I know that, that that's different for some women. I think of like my, my mother-in-law is like, I I think she could probably be around my children all the time and not get sick of them. (laughs) And there's part where I'm like, I'm tired. Do you want them for a bit? But I, I remember very much having a conversation with, with my husband, I think before we were married 
we're sitting in like the car in my parents' driveway and going, you know, when we have kids, like I'm not going back to work. I'm like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be a mom. And, and then I had a kid and I'm just like, I really like having adult conversation. And I really like having something that, that felt like identity outside of that, what you said, that very narrow definition. Um, one of these, um, one of the individuals that we spoke about in the, in the pre-interview time um, was talking about some of these things. I can't remember who it was, Josh Hawley or something. But saying that, you know, again, this, there's nothing more important that a woman can do in the world than uh. raising the next generation and doing this kind of, and almost like this. So if one, if, if one perspective turns motherhood into an idol, Mm. right yep. which is the same thing with purity culture yes. and stuff it's it's an idolatry that's what uh is there is, is there sometimes a something from another perspective that devalues motherhood that kind of thinks well a woman a woman should be defined entirely like apart from this um and that mm. you know because i think sometimes we're looking at these people on the on the far right or whatever um and sometimes you you know they hold up examples of people who kind of denigrate motherhood mm -hmm. as if it's now you didn't hear that in the church so much right but it's is it out there oh denigrating motherhood yeah. in the church blasphemy yeah except so for there. those single missionary women oh <laughs> yeah right we right. love them but the poor souls you know couldn't find a man or right. they dedicated, them, they dedicated themselves okay. to god and so you know god is their groom and all of their people that they've helped are their children. Like, like yeah. yeah. Kind so. of monasticism for... Sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And what you talked about, though, Todd, um, I think I'm going to lose it in a second. Where was that thought? It was a good one, too. Nope, it's gone. Okay. It'll <laughs> yeah. come back. Just yeah. say, I, it I, usually does. I don't remember experiencing a, a denigration of, of motherhood. I think it, it was definitely held up as the ideal, if not... It, it it felt like the only option. It honestly, it didn't feel like another option that there was option for me. But I mean, I, I feel like I don't wish to denigrate motherhood. I, I love my children dearly. I just don't feel that, that if people don't wish to have children, that doesn't change their valuation. I just go, can't we hold space for people who find fulfillment in, in motherhood? And I go, that is so awesome. I'm really glad that you have found something that is fulfilling for you and is nourishing for your soul. I don't experience things that way. I experience fulfillment in, in like conversation and in, in reading things and engaging with, with things. I go, can't we, can't we hold both things as, as a value? And I, I, I don't well, I think, think we need I to I think that's pick. some of that, like, Brendan, in your article, you talk about um, moving towards a nuanced understanding of womanhood. And mm -hmm. We've used the term motherhood here a few times, and I, I kind of go that, or I'm thinking that it's interesting, right? Because in a way, you're talking about a, a verb like mothering or parenting or mm -hmm. motherhood. I mean, if you, if you, if you have children, you're, you're, at, well, you're, you're a mom, like from the, Okay, we're defining who what a woman is, but right? <laughs> so it's so motherhood is something that's this big kind of, and and so uh, what I'm getting back there is to is that there is a sense sometimes that people have kind of said on, from one perspective have said, oh well, you're just a housewife, as if you know your identity should be so much more than that, mm. or mm. the opposite. Um, that's the only that's the most important thing by far. And, mm. and back to the sense of those are the those are the categories that, hurt, mm -hmm. right? 
I, well, if we use the word, I mean, even when we use the word just in anything, right? You're just this. We are already denigrating whatever that thing is, right? Um, and so if we could remove that mm. from every part of our language, then we would be able to have some of those nuances of I've chosen the role of staying home with my kids to raise them. I've chosen the role to be a CEO at, at XYZ company. I've chosen the role to be a pastor, right? And so that's I think where we can, if we get rid of the just and we are able to have some of those understandings of the nuances and the, mm. you know, the word that I would use is that intersectionality of who we are as human beings and not defining by one single um, role that we play or one single um, um, identity that mm -hmm. we have because we are all full of multiple identities. Mm -hmm. We, I mean, as I was taking notes here, I mean, the the Godhead, the Trinity, if anything, is this complex mystery of yes. multiple identities that we we haven't even touched the surface. We don't know. There's so many things that we can be learning, though, about this intersectionality mm -hmm. of rules, of nuances, of essences of the Godhead in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. If that doesn't give us a place to pause and say, wait a minute, those binaries actually don't even work in the Trinity because if we're talking about three, the yeah. three things... <laughs> Come across so, some technical problems yeah, there. Yeah, so let's even look at that as a model for us understanding our own identity. Yeah. Well, you had asked about role or something. You were in well, I mean, I was just going to say, I think that that narrow of a view of, of motherhood also, I think, diminishes the fact that I don't think that you need to have a child to play the role of a mother in someone's life. I think that you, uh, I, I think of... Um, my husband's aunt and uncle, they don't have children. Um, they, they take our kids out for things. They, they have areas in which, in my, in my husband and my brother-in-law's life, that they've, they've been kind of some of those, those roles. And so I think if you define that the only way that you can be a mother or practice motherhood or pra like has to be with your own biological children, that, that cheapens it. Like, we, I think we can have a better definition than that. Um, I, I, I would love... I would love an opinion from you right now, Brenda, if, if you would if you would indulge us a little bit. I, I have some some suspicions, but I'd like to get your take on it. Um, that what sort of power structures or like social hierarchies um, do you think are typically at play in perpetuating this myth of motherhood that you that you speak of? Like, who's benefiting from this? Mm. I want to first go back to your your. A comment earlier about um, us kind of as a Western idea of mothering, that is really a, a North American kind of mm -hmm. Western theory, right? In so many cultures, it is truly a group project to raise families. We live together. The grandparents are involved. Our aunties are involved. The person who lives down the street is my auntie. Like there is this collective mm -hmm. understanding of responsibility to be raising the children, the next generation. And so those already, those, those rules are, are being torn down or they're being blurred, I would say. In, in so many other cultures. And it's just a very Western, right, yeah. individualistic yep. ideal. And that ties to the power structure. If you want to keep the hierarchy in our churches with men on top and then women as subordinate, right, you're going to need something for them to do. And what we're going to ask them to do is to stay home and to take care of the kids. And we're going to elevate that as your God-given calling. Mm -hmm. Because 
do we ask men to stay home and watch their kids, even though we're saying, and we're elevating men to positions of leadership, and we're elevating men to positions of decision-making, and being able to, you know, speak theology, talk theology, create policies in our yeah. organizations, if I'm using church as organization, um, and yet we say women are raising the kids. There's like already a disconnect there. Okay, yeah. you're allowing the women to teach and raise your kid, but to what point? 12, 14, 16, 18? Yeah. And then all of a sudden the switch comes where you're no longer needed and now they've got everything that they need to actually move above you, mom. Yeah, and so I go, then then what's your role after that? What what do you get do to work in, the in kitchen. that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean we, we have some <laughs> There's we opinions have some, happening. Some familiarity over <laughs> on the couch. Um what I what I think is You get to lead the women's Bible study. Oh, and you pull kinda, people aside. You kind of killed me a little bit with that comment. Um, but I, I find it funny that even in in what might be identified as as more egalitarian understandings of, of faith or or gender roles in within like a Christian structure, there have I have experienced personally times where when when I've gone to a conference or taken a class or that sort of stuff, I get the question: So who's taking care of the kids while you're doing this? I mean, I'm just going to put my husband on the spot. Has that ever happened to you? No. No, it has not. Bullshit. That's such bullshit. You like, get mad at him. No. I'm not I mean, not right him. now. <laughs> there might be other reasons. But, like, even in times where, like, I know that I'm allowed to occupy a space in a classroom, I've still gotten comments in places that I'm surprised I've gotten them from of going, so who's watching the kids this weekend while you're here? And I'm like, why does that matter? Mm. like it it isn't a thing for for men i don't think i mean there there are two men on the mic here would you like to give an opinion well i'm 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 old i'm older now ken you're not that far behind me. You're, <laughs> you're right there have you guys um, ever been asked that when question I, when, so jen and i we our boys now are are 24 and 22 so so it's it's a number of years ago but yes I, uh with my schedule and our work schedule and stuff and working at a church, there were days that I had um, the kids uh, when they were really little. I'd go into a grocery store with them. I'd go golfing with them when they were growing up. I'd go, you know, to like um, uh, Mummy and Me, <laughs> you know, like little playtimes. It's called Mummy and Me. And there's a daddy. Yeah. Um, and and <laughs> well, I remember going to some of these things and, it, and you would be treated like, it's so You're wonderful that you... You are a hero for doing that. child. And, and if your child was like going nuts or whatever, they'd feel sorry for you. And that, that Must be the mother. did happen. Did that happen to you, Ken? Yeah. I mean, similar to you, I, I had a flexible schedule. So I was the one who was on the parent advisory committee yeah. and chaired that for a few years and uh, at the That's school. True. And so there was... But there was always a bit of a surprise oh there's a there's a there's a, there's man. a man showing up there's for this a dad. i mean there were a few dads who were involved i was probably more involved it's than changing many. it is changing. It, is, yeah. it is changing but i don't think whenever i went to a conference and you and i went to a bunch of conferences together um todd uh i don't think i ever got asked you know when i'm there who's looking after the kids um so it there is an assumption mm -hmm. now some of that could be they're saying it almost tongue in cheek. So, oh, you're here. So, who's looking after the kid? I mean, it could be, but more, it just comes out as a as a habit. It comes out of yes. the way of just the way we speak. We culture. we make assumptions about the role of the 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 mother and the role of the father. Um, mm -hmm. Well, this has to do with expectations. We had a question yeah. on that. Mm -hmm. 
um, expectations for, for men too, right? That, that are not always easy. And I talk to a lot of particularly younger men um, who struggle with the expectations they feel and stuff and feel like, well, they can't be successful enough or, or whatever. And so Brenda, in, mm. in, in an evangelical church, your experience um, teaching at a Christian institution, an educational institution, post-secondary, mm. what kind of expectations did you encounter like for women as a woman? What, what was expected of you socially, culturally, mm. whatever? Mm. That's a great question. You know what I wrote and what I believe is true. Women are required to play small. Mm. We, we play small. We um, play second. Women play in the background. Um, we are supporting actresses. Um, we're expected to be grateful for what we're given and opportunities when they come along. When we, I don't want to use the word demand, but I'll use the word demand, or when we ask for something more. Which is amazing, both words, eh? <laughs> we have to somehow justify it to the ends of the earth that it is not only in their best interest, but our best interest, but mostly their best interest to be allowed to do this next thing, to be that pastor, to be that first pastor on staff. Don't you, honestly, this is how you do it, women. Don't you want to be the first in your community to have a woman on your staff? Like, isn't that going to just really play well? I wouldn't use those words. Would that work but this in is, an evangelical No, but you no, do. No, we don't. <laughs> in some, it does, because they're seeing, you know, the church down the street. Uh, they've okay. just hired one. One, they've hired one, yeah. and that's really the but language I've heard. But have any? They've no, hired one. We've, we're going to hire another one. We're going to hire one. That's how they, I've been referred to. We have one. <laughs> we have one. Oh, Great. I'm the one, I guess. Um, so playing small, yeah, playing second, being grateful for what's thrown at us instead of saying, um, actually, that's not okay. Actually, there's, I am created for more. Here, here, let me tell you this. Maybe I shared this last time. I don't remember. When I, st I started seminary. Tell and, us again. Uh, after I left that um, fairly toxic church environment, I decided to go to seminary. Why would she <laughs> It's an that? interesting development. Well, because I'm like, you gotta, you want to play with the big boys? You got to, you know, although most of them never even had degrees, but I wanted to play with some big boys. So you go back to school and you get that, that degree. The loudest um, yellers are not the most qualified not at all yeah. not at all but um at so the seminary i registered to um the guys who are in charge in our department were actually quite lovely i'll say lovely and they really pulled me aside the dean and he's like you are more than qualified to be here your voice is more than qualified and just so you know you'll never get hired anywhere i'm like i know that I know that, but I'm not doing it just to get a job. I'm doing this because I believe not only do I want to make a difference in my own life, my own stretching my theological wings, but I believe I'm actually doing it for the women behind me, mm -hmm. right? And hell, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. endure the things I need to endure. And I'm going to be the only woman in some theology classes. And I'm going to be the, you know, the only person who's going to raise this issue from a certain perspective. I'm, I'm going to be the one who endures some of those eye rulings. I can do that and I'm going to do that. Um, but yeah. Is it, and it, when you're saying this, it sounds to me, I can kind of feel it in the room. Like that it's still a lot like that. Like we've, we've moved, but that there's a, there's a long, long way to go well, still. Well, the institution that I was teaching at that I left last year, 
how do I say this without getting in trouble? They can't fire you. <laughs> you are so right. Yeah, what, what trouble would you, I'm, so I'm trying. I literally have the same question. What okay. trouble are you going to see? Get but this is a woman mm, thing too. Yeah. I am. I am okay. gatekeeping myself. Right. I well, don't want to gatekeep myself. You don't want to get someone else uh, who okay. might still be there in trouble. Ken and I are like. Doesn't Kick matter. the thing over. <laughs> Welcome to a man's perspective, Brenda. <laughs> yeah. We 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 question ourselves all the time. Where I was going with this is um, women are leaving. In Qualified, droves. tenured, excellent, professional, academic leaders in their field are leaving because their voice is being drowned out. And this is 2022. So, so when like, you talk about there's changes, it's, it's not absolutely. only there's still a ways to go. There are times when things actually Regret. revert. Mm -hmm. And you know this back. this article I think attunes to that, right? Mm -hmm. It's that this pendulum right now. I mean, what's going on in the states? Does it affect what's going on in here? Yeah, to some extent, right? We are reflectors of some of these issues yeah. that are going on in evangelicalism and politics and things like that south of the border for us. So do I think some of that pendulum? Absolutely, and that it's based on fear, what we were talking about earlier. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, um, I, I didn't kind of click into this, this similar trajectory. Like after we left the church that, that we were employed at in, in 2019, I, I began going to, to graduate school. Um, I mean, I, I wanted to be there. I'm, I'm very interested in the material, but I also, there is a legitimate motivation of as, as we grow as an organization and rooms that I'm anticipating being in, I go, it might be a little easier if I have an MA behind my name. Some guy might actually take me seriously and think I know what I'm talking about. And, and I feel like I need to have that degree to have any sense of like validity. Um, so I, and I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that the institution that, that I'm in is, is very pro woman. It is, very pro mm -hmm. lots of stuff that I'm that I'm grateful for um so the institution's not the problem but I go there is definitely part of my motivation that I feel like I need to have this degree to justify a place in a room mm -hmm. and do you think that's particularly something to do with being a woman like well I mean I've been in enough church rooms where men have looked down on me and I've seen them talking to other men and then they talk to me, and their tone changes, and their literal vocabulary so changes. So, in a sense, you're saying mm. the men wouldn't need to be as qualified as uh, oh no, or, or qualified as even a particularly in in my the credentials, in, whatever. In yeah. my understanding, and like in my experience in evangelical churches, and again, I, I couldn't speak to to many other places. There was not in my particular church growing up. There was not an idealization of further education. I'm not even sure what sort of degree, if any, our pastor had. He sure walked around like he had a fucking degree, though. Um, and, and he would use his power in a way that was cruel and authoritative. But he, he wasn't a terribly intellectual man. Um, like, I, I know that I wouldn't be, in, in any sort of conversation with him, I will never be more than some sort of subordinate character to him. It doesn't matter what of, sort of yeah, name, I, yeah. like what sort of degree I have behind my name. That doesn't matter. But I feel like I would have a position mm -hmm. in that room. Um, and I'm not sure if that's, that's just isolated to evangelicalism. That's my own experience. I mean, lots of churches require, like, you know, a master's degree to have ordination. Uh, many evangelical churches do not. Uh, I think that's problematic personally. Um, but 
I don't know how much of a shift there's been. Like, Brenda, have you have you seen shifts in in regard to kind of these these understandings of roles and expectations, or do you kind of see? It, it seems like you've talked about that in certain places there there are shifts, but in other places it, it's almost like a doubling down that occurs. So I, I don't know if there, have you seen kind of like a shift across the board or is that maybe not actually characteristic of what's happening? Well, again, I think there, there is a reaction. I mean, we, we've, we have a perfect storm of all kinds of crazy things going on the last three years, right? We have, we have this pandemic, we have isolation, we have people losing jobs, we have family members dying. Like we are in constant trauma and stress. So it's hard to sometimes like look you know, put our heads up after look and look around at the landscape and say, <laughs> actually, what is really going on here? I think yeah. that's a little bit of a challenge. Um, and like we've talked about already, you know, reaction to when things are changed or when we can't control the things going on in our universe, in our worlds, in our churches, even what do we do? We go back to what we know. Mm. Right. So we go back to I'm a man, you're a woman. This is God's will for us. Let's just keep going with this because we know this is true. I'm using quotation marks. You can't <laughs> see that. Um, and so and there's that certainty. Right. Yeah. We, we do crave certainty. If we can change that. The conversations and the willingness to live in mystery. That was supposed to say mystery. It not mystery. <laughs> that was very. We knew what you meant. Funky. It, no, it made it even even stronger. Ooh, yeah. it's this drink that's yeah. happened. Well, again. <laughs> Another name for you. Yeah, I've come to be very comfortable in paradox because I believe the more I know, the less I know, and Amen. I've experienced that in my life, mm-hmm. and which does tie to actually, if if you're when you do the honor of going into kind of some further education, you do realize how little you know. And I think that's a place, mm. there's humility in that. And I think that's a good thing. Yes. And, and that's why I'm also a good proponent of go to school. You, you might not come out like learning something, but you're going to learn about yourself and you're going to learn about what we don't know. And I think that's a really healthy place for us to have nuance, to yes. have that ability to say what I thought was true may be shifting a bit, but that's okay. So where am I going to... I don't have to land anywhere. I can kind of swim through this. Can I swim through this? Hmm. Feels yeah, nice. I, I would it? ask about like the, the shift question. I think is a, is an important one. I like how you answer it. That, um, and I'd ask everybody here. Like not that everybody's on mics, but is there? Do you think that there's some of the shifts are generational? Like young people, you know, younger people, you know, are they following all the prescribed roles from a generation ago? Or sometimes it's not some big cultural thing that you know, or announcement from a pulpit or something. It's just. Um, these kids, their their parents followed rules pretty prescribed, and they don't. <laughs> and they wouldn't necessarily be able to identify why. They just don't. Do you see some of that? Do you think that's, that it's also just the next generation's different? Or does it, some of these things, do they solidify? What does everybody think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's, uh, I think there's certainly some of that where, when you grow up in, I mean, I see it in my own kid. It's they, they've grown up where there's, whether it's the gender neutral pronouns or a lot of that stuff, and for them, it's second na- nature. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost no different than in some ways than two year olds knowing how to use an iPhone, mm-hmm. and yet mm-hmm. I still struggle with it because I didn't grow up with it. So there is some of that when you grow up in it. It hopefully becomes intuitive, but 
Um, I was going to say to your earlier comment about the, your experience in evangelical churches, I was part of the Anglican Church. Of course, the Anglican Church in the 60s began ordaining women, mm-hmm. which was one of the first sort of large mm-hmm. uh, Protestant churches that did so uh, and started naming bishops, I think, in the 70s. Uh, and yet, at the same time, there's always been pushback. And so when the rift happened in Anglicanism back in the early 2000s, one of the things they wanted to get rid of, of course, gay uh, ministers, but also women ministers. Yeah. So oh, there was somehow a big I didn't catch that it was. There was a yeah. big they wanted push. to reverse not, that. Not not all of them. So some the the ones the, from Canada were still very in favor. Oh, I thought of you meant all, not all women. It was going to be like a no, no, no. We like this one, and we don't like this but, one. But but certainly Do you have out a uterus? of the U.S., <laughs> there was a big push to reverse that decision huh. around. This is our chance to. This go is back our to chance to go, go back. back to the good old days. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was thinking of just in terms of that equality and where do we see that? Uh, so my daughter plays sports in, in high school and the boys jerseys at the high school, they're all the team colors. Like they're all the school colors. So in her school, it's green and yellow. The girls get the boys warm up jerseys from previous years. That's their team jerseys, black and white, because they're the warm up jerseys. The boys used to wear like 10 Mm -hmm. years ago. Nothing about Which that surprises me, Ken. Uh, weird and uh, it's it's bothersome. It's small, but it's bothersome. So, uh, Brenda, you use a couple of words in your writing that are really, really great and I think have some hope in them. Uh, hospitality and mutuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do those things play into the kind of conversation that we're having now? And how might hospitality and mutuality help us in mm-hmm. some of these things? So even in, you know, my fiery passion and my um, (laughs) deeply strong convictions in lots of things, I really believe that holding those things in hospitality with others means I could still be really wrong. And I'm going to stand by my convictions absolutely and live through them and practice them. And I'm also going to allow you to do the same. And I'm going to try to understand. I'm going to try really hard to not be so judgmental. Ugh, that one's a hard one for me. Um, but, I, but I'm committed to that because I believe there's a call. It's that call to paradox and that call to, mm-hmm. I do not have this all figured out. This is what I know so far. And this is how I'm going to live so far. And I'm going to challenge you, and I'm going to um, I, I'm going to believe you're wrong on some of those things, and yet you get to do those things too. And so, for hospitality is the great humiliator, and the in a good way, yeah. that humiliation in being not certain, and allowing those who feel that they are certain to live in that certainty and to maybe if I can shift something for them, maybe if I can hold tension in for them by not engaging in terms of saying, like, you have to believe what I believe. Well, I've had so many people say that to me, right? I, I've been called a Jezebel. I've been called that I am no You've longer been called a, a Jezebel? Absolutely. <laughs> to my face, but also in sermons at my former church, they alluded to me without saying my name. And people were phoning me after that service saying, I think they were talking about you. <laughs> that was so funny. Um, is it like I? Is it weak people who do this? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> like I just. Well, you're holding, trying to hold on to power. Earth. You're holding on to power, and how do you hold on to power by disempowering another person, right? Or by dehumanizing them? By when we call out the Jezebels, we all know Jezebel was was oh, Jezebel. Don't say that word. It can be anything but Jezebel. 
Wow. Or not really. That but is astounding. But that happens. So hospitality um, doesn't yeah. mean that you have to, you know, somebody acting like an asshole, you, you don't have to say that's okay. No, not. Yeah. And hospitality means I'm going to actually call you out on that. And also, if it's not safe for you to I mean, be in a relationship with you or you're going down a path, I'm going to call you out on that path if it's destroying other people or if it's toxic. Right. But it also means I'm not going to dehumanize you. Mm. And that's a huge thing. And I'm not going, because oh, I don't think, I, I know that's not what Jesus would do. And I know that's not how I want to follow Jesus. And I don't believe dehumanizing another human being at all for any purpose is in my wheelhouse of how I believe mm. Jesus wants me to live. Right? At all. Mutuality. So, what about mutuality? Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful word. I think here's what mutuality means to me and here's how I try to live through mutuality. Um, and I think I was really longing for the language around this because um, I believe my husband and I have this great mutuality in terms of our relationship in that we are so comfortable with who we are. We don't need to, like we are dependent and yet interdependent mm -hmm. and we are independent of each other. And so it never has to be a power struggle between us. And what we give and receive to each other, we try to do in a sense of like deep love and commitment for one another. And so I in turn want that in my Christianity and in my faith practices and in when I'm interacting with people, mutuality in terms of I have something to offer you mm -hmm. and you have something to offer me. And so let's let's offer it together and let's learn together through this thing. And yeah, we, it might be uncomfortable and it's going to have discomfort and things like that, but I would rather live in that discomfort mm -hmm. than in writing people off or in dehumanizing people or in excommunicating people out of my life. I mean, are there people that I've had to say, yeah, boundaries, boundaries? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm not saying boundaries aren't important. They very much are. Toxic people exist. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and yet I don't want to wish them harm. I want to wish them healing. Hmm. Um, and so that mutuality means is really a, a huge give and take. And it's a it's a place of a posture of being willing to also sacrifice what my what I want mm. in the time to hear from them, to give to them, to mm. serve them. Yeah. In the hopes and in the belief that in doing that, they too will be able to serve. They, they might not be able to serve me at that point, but maybe that in turn, they'll be able to serve somebody else. Or maybe in turn, they will also be able to see that the benefit of that. Mm -hmm. Kind of to create holistic, yeah. healthy community yeah. well, so. and no. relationship. I think, that's, I think that's really beautiful. And I think it's a, it's a really great call. And I mean, I, when, when I was reading through your essay, when, when you came to those terms, like they, they stuck out and I was like, oh, those are so good. Like, and... And I kind of read mutuality as like, yeah, it's understanding that we exist in relationship mm -hmm. and that like we, we don't exist as, as just one thing. And mm -hmm. that that means that decisions that I make impact other people and the decisions that other people make deeply can impact me mm -hmm. um, and go, how do we live well together mm -hmm. and how do we do that? And I think, yeah, I found it really encouraging and, and I find it interesting that you talk about how the more you know, the less you know. And I, I very much had that experience as well with the, the schooling that, that I've done that I'm like, there's so much that I don't know. And yet I've gotten more comfortable with that tension of going, mm -hmm. I don't need to have some of that same certainty, mm -hmm. um, at least not about certain doctrines and stances and that sort of thing. <laughs> um, I, I don't draw certainty and, and fulfillment and, you know, 
my sense of self from those things anymore. Um, and uh, I want to, as we, as we begin to, to wrap here, kind of ask the question that, that we ask all of our guests and what gives you hope right now? Where are you finding that these days? The question has really changed during COVID. Eh? <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah, no, because yeah, I just noticed <laughs> that people, people actually respond. Yeah, the, the, mm. the space there, is different. Yeah, is it definitely yeah. is. Yeah, I as I was preparing, and I I knew you were going to ask me that question. Um, the first thing I'm going to say is what doesn't give me hope is I've been so very discouraged with the f- what I'm calling the fall of evangelicalism around us. I mean, weekly, for the last couple of months, I've been seeing this church is falling, this pastor. Oh, we found out stuff. Well, the rest of us knew this has been going on for a long time. This woman's come forth as somebody who's been abused. These people have been hiding and told, you know, you can't say anything for years. There's like the big Hillsong documentary right now. That's all crashing down. Oh, and, and I mean, there's been tears at the seams that I just feel like, We've been putting band-aids on for so long. And I said this about five years ago in something I wrote. And I had whoa, lots of people like, boo, 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 shooting <laughs> people me. People were opinionated? Oh. Shocking. I said, like, it's got to burn all down, yeah. folks. It's got to burn down. Because we've been trying to prop up and repair something that is beyond repair. Yeah. Doesn't mean something. Something. The hope that gives me is I know something new will come. Something beautiful. Something different. And that gives me hope, I hope. I hope it gives me hope. Uh, You guys give me hope, actually. Mm. You give me hope that you are inviting conversations around diverse, beautiful topics, and you weave threads of our faith Mm -hmm. and our evolving, developing faith in that. That actually gives me hope. Art right now gives me hope. Mm. I've just been kind of immersed in, I'm going to art galleries, I took an art class last fall. I'm surrounding myself with artists and trying to befriend artists because <laughs> art is this never ending. An artist can say, yes, it's done. But even in their mind, they're like, this actually isn't done. I, I think it's this, this gift of it's not yet finished and yet I'm going to offer it to the world. And I'm going to, it's vulnerable. Art is so vulnerable. I, I do something, I create something, and I can I, I do it with words because I think words are a form of art as well. And then you offer it out to the world, and you're like, ooh, what's going to happen now? Is anyone going to like it? Everyone going to hate it? Is someone going to say, the worst is when they say nothing. When there's crickets <laughs> out there, you're like, oh, my goodness, I didn't land anywhere. I'd rather have people mad at me than not <laughs> nothing. Not yeah. yeah. <laughs> so art gives me hope. And artists, that beautiful vulnerability and th- they just do it they make it and and they offer it out to the world that gives uh, me hope that's really well put that no. uh, makes me want to go read a poem and mm-hmm. yes and uh, who was who, uh, uh, Mako yeah, yeah. Um, Mako Fujimura faith and mm. what's his book art called? and faith art and faith yeah, mm. but, uh, so thank you so much thank you Brenda thank you everybody for yes, being for here out to the little and studio. listening <laughs> it's such a pleasure to see you meeting and greeting one another uh, after it seemed to be a period of time and, yes. uh, and, <laughs> and thank you so much we're going to continue to follow your work we hope to have you on again just a regular kind of friend um, and we really want to we really want to bless you in, in what you're doing mm-hmm. as well we know that um uh, it hasn't always been easy for you, and you've had to take risks, 
um, and you've had to stay true to kind of where you see mm-hmm. things going in terms mm-hmm. of faith. And, and it is, it is going that way. We're hopeful about that, but it doesn't always mean that the practicalities line mm. up at the time. And so, um, keep at it. And thanks for yes. joining mm-hmm. us. We really Thank appreciate you so it. much. What a pleasure. That. What a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> to <laughs> the do. last dregs of the drink. Rector's Cupboard releases a new episode every other Friday. The podcast is a production of Reflector Project. Hosts are Todd Weeb and Allison Williams. Cupboard master for tastings and locations is Ken Bell. Production and social media by Amanda Mina. For past episodes and other content, visit rectorscupboard.ca. Thanks for listening.